Dennis. How you doing? Good, Alex. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. This is my this is the me with me with my guest time, and it's a it's a phenomenal time every every weeknights that I s- come back downstairs. Um, it's actually my hybrid office. You know, like the work office is right in front of me, and this is my kind of my man cave ish <laughs> little space. You know, like so every time I come downstairs, get my dogs to sleep, and you know, um, it's it's a great time. So I'm 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 doing awesome. Um, before we start the regular programming, I'm going to ask you a question that I have had, I've had asked my, my guest for the past year and a half and more. Um, where are you located, Mark? Uh, Dennis, sorry. Uh, where are you located, Dennis? And how has been the pandemic going for you? Sure. And that might have been a Freudian slip there with Mark, because we'll, we'll talk about a Mark later in the podcast. Um, my brother, um, I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm in Greenville, South Carolina, and the pandemic, um, as good as it gets, it's prolonged. I thought we, you know, the summer of hope turned into the fall of darkness. And you're talking to a guy that just recently got over COVID. Um, I had it. Uh, Labor Day weekend here in the States was uh, September 7th, and I got diagnosed. I knew I had it because I couldn't smell. Uh, and I had like what I thought were fall allergies. Uh, not to get controversial and political, I was vaccinated. Don't want to go down that road, but I did get the vaccine, both of them, and uh, it helped immensely. But I don't have experience without COVID, without the vaccine, so I can't talk to that either. So I'm just glad I had it. Uh, it felt like a head cold, lost sense of smell. It's all back, and I'm on the rebound. I feel really good. I'm. It was all from that neck up. So the pandemic actually got me right at the end here. I th- well, who knows what the end is? We don't know if this is yeah. the end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't project any timeline right now. You know, like we, we, like you said, you know, like it was the summer of hope, and you're know, like everyone was like, yeah, 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 yeah. By the end of the summer, everything's gonna be good. Everything's gonna be fine. Back to attending shows and going to the cinemas, and you're know, like. Well, <laughs> sorry to <laughs> I hear here that you know <laughs> yeah, we're not, not it's ha- not easy. And I did some things recently. I did exactly what you said. I went to an outdoor concert. I saw the Yonder Mountain String Band. I loved it, little bluegrass. Uh then I went to a uh an outdoor sip and safari at the zoo where I volunteered to pour wine and I was just in the back pouring wine outside. I thought everything was fine. But when we did like, some kind of contact tracing, because my wife was with me at the time, and she goes, I think you got it at the barbershop. When I went to the barbershop here in the States, I walked in and nobody had a mask on. I should have turned around and ran out of there. And it was pretty crowded. And I said, but no, I need a haircut. And I sat down and I thought, all right, maybe we're out of this thing. Maybe they know something I don't know. And a couple of days later, I got COVID. Like, all right, maybe they, maybe they were wrong and I was right. Should have hightailed it out of there. haircut, right? A costly haircut. <laughs> <laughs> very expensive haircut. Doesn't even he look left that a good. tip. It, on, on top of yours, he left a tip. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, you know, like the reason why I ask uh, that question is, um, you know, like based on you know, like the multiple guests that I had that I asked the question. There's, there's really something around the state of mental health 
based on, you know, like what's going on, you know, like you, you said, you know, like the fall of darkness, which, you know, it kind of um, gives like a, an, a, a powerful image of, you know, like what people are going through, you know, like in, in some, and in, well, actually in some people's life, you know, like the, the isolation, the depression. Yeah. Have you witnessed that, Dennis? You know, like, have you seen, you know, like people kind of um, state of mind or just like their, their you know, like their, their general happiness level drop? Well, it's, it's interesting because I'm in the suicide prevention business and I work part time for our, our state of South Carolina, the Department of Mental Health. And initially, Alex, according to the, the experts here in the States, initially we saw a dip in suicides when COVID hit. We're, we're a resilient bunch. Think about it. Everyone rallied or isolated, got together, and it, it was good. I'm not a fan of this thing going on and on. I'm, I'm worried about our long-term mental health now as this thing is prolonged. Uh, and I don't pretend to be anything I'm not. I, I work in the grant department. I'm, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. Sure. I was an accounting major in school. But I, you know, I, I do work in suicide prevention. I'm not a fan of this thing going longer and longer because it's going to force isolation that we didn't want. But I am a believer in resilience. I, I, I'm a silver lining kind of guy. And I think a lot of people will have, will have some dramatic experience with COVID, post-traumatic you know, what we call PTSD. They will have it. It's a traumatic event for a lot of us. Heck, I just had COVID. It, it was, you know, people in the hospital, people dying. It's 1,900 a day here in the States. It's traumatic. Um, but I'm going to try to trick my brain, my own personal brain, Alex, into thinking about post-traumatic stress growth. And I would tell all your listeners right now, you better Google that because that's what I want. And I try to trick myself. If I was in my office, I have a poster with the five things that happened, you know, deeper relationships, you know, increased spirituality, all this stuff that's more positive that happens when an event happens. And you've probably seen this as a podcaster. You will be talking to somebody and you're amazed at their story. You're like, holy mackerel, how are you still standing up? And they just go on. And it's unbelievable. So I'm going to try to trick my brain into post-traumatic stress growth. I want to grow from this. I want to figure out a better version of me. There is um, definitely, um, you know, like I, I, I would tend to say all of my guests, I'm impressed by, you know, like some have, to my judgment, you know, like have worse stories than others. But, you know, like the, the resiliency is, you know, I think the Cold Turkey podcast is actually just, that, you know, if, if I could describe it in one word, would be resil resiliency, right? You know, like it's just... Yeah. Some, you know, like it's just freaking shocking, you know, like that, that, that they're still even alive. Um, all that to say that I, I think you said it best, you know, like I, I mentioned this almost on every episode since I started asking the question is, um, you know, like should, should our states and, and authorities worry about a bit more about that post traumatic, um, you know, like, you know, like state, you know, like that, that people are going to be in, um, here we had a wave of feminicide for a while where, you know, like the, the, the state authorities have, you know, like did few, you know, a lot of ads and, you know, like they wanted to kind of tell people not to stay isolated and all that. But, you know, like I, I'm, I'm worried that, you know, like there, there are people that, you know, um, either haven't been reached by, you know, like, or didn't find, themselves identified by you know like what was proposed and um and yeah you know like it's it's um it's something that it's 
almost always on the back of my mind. You know, like it, you know, like how, but I love the post-traumatic stress growth or post-traumatic growth. You know, like I love that yeah. because it's, it's something that, you know, like if you, you know, we're like, you know, like neither am I a psychologist, but you know, like, and neither am I, you know, like a big advocate of like the secret, but I truly believe that, you know, like fake it till you be, you, you fake it till you make it and believe it is, uh, is something that, you know, like I use a lot, you know, like, so, you know, if you keep having those thoughts forced by yourself into your mind, you're like, there's, there's, I think there's no other way, but to at some point believe it and live it, you know? So yeah, I love that. Love that. I, absolutely. I love that thing. And fake it, make it. And also, you know, with the resilience piece, uh, if, if we survive this and we are, if you're listening to our voices right now, you survived the pandemic, the onslaught, it's still going on. Um, if we, if we get past this, we'll, the resilience will be built in. We can get past anything. Hopefully we have yeah. that attitude. All right. Back to my regular podcast programming. Um, I, I, I do ask my guests to rewind their life story tape to a marking event as young as they can remember that kind of initiates the people that they're be they'll become, you know, like sometimes for people that have used or or have had trauma it's those little first kind of you know obstacles in their life path that you know like they, they they identify as this is one moment that you know like has as kind of curb that you know that 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 way down my 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 road of life you know like so um while drawing me like a, a bit of a family picture, can you can can you identify where you know like or or what climate or what setup kind of you know started building the individual you are today? Oh, absolutely, and I and I have to mention my family because it's a big part of the the traumas that I faced. I'm one of five kids, Alex. You know, uh, I have a sister Sheila, older brother Mark. Uh, I told you we get to that name, Dennis. That's me in the middle, Janice and Matthew. And when I was in college in 1983, I, was, I went to school in West Virginia University. I was at university when the phone rang, and um, it was a Wednesday, and my sister was telling me I need to come home. I'm like, no, I'm exactly where I need to be. And she told me that my older brother, Mark, died by suicide. So there's a trauma introduced at an early age. I'm 20 years old, right? still trying to figure out my way in life. And the pediatric brain doesn't stop forming until somewhere in the mid-20s. So I'm not in a good spot. Um, I, The drinking age was 18 in the States at the time. I was 20. So I was already drinking a lot. Irish Catholic, uh, we don't have a, a lock on it, but we, we do a pretty good job of trying to get to the top of the heap. Uh, I was drinking a lot already. And then when marked out, I drank a hell of a lot. That's a what we'd all call a, a negative coping skill. I was in pain and I was going to mask it. And I was going to do drugs, alcohol, you name it, pile on. And it was, it was on. Um, you know, every one of your listeners can relate if, if they've gone through something, blackouts, you know, uh, obnoxiously drunk all the time. I would open up a bottle of wine. I remember when I first met my ex-wife, I opened a bottle of wine and I threw out the cork. And she goes, what are you doing? Like She wasn't a big drinker. I'm like, Oh, we're finishing this. Like, I'm not putting the cork back on there. No, we're, we're, no, 
<laughs> that doesn't <Come> happen. <laughs> that's a, you know, like, that's a curse. <laughs> yeah. Why, why would I'm, I'm throwing my it wife out. does that? I'm like, you don't know how to drink. You're like what, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, like We're you keep going it for it. What's up? What's, what's worse? You know, like what's, what's wrong with you? Um, I want to rewind a, a bit back, uh, further though, uh, that it's you know, like, is there, um, what was the family setup? You know, like you talked about the five kids, you know, like were your parents together? What, what, what kind of, you know, like, um, was, was, you know, like, was your father, you know, like you, you talked about the Irish Catholic, but you know, like, so was your father a big drinker? Was there like a somewhat of an influence of, of use? And not saying that he was necessarily, necessarily an alcoholic, but you know, like, was there, like, was this something that what you were used to in your entourage? Yeah, I think about it. Uh, five kids, small house outside of New York. I was born in Brooklyn, but we moved in the suburbs, you know, uh, up in the Hudson Valley. And it was, uh, it was tolerated. It was, there was a, you know, I wouldn't say it was promoted. It was tolerated. I'd come home, uh, gosh, I think the first time I really got drunk and threw up was like eighth grade going into ninth grade, which would put me at 14 years old, you know, 13, 14, going into the next phase of my life. High school, it was on. I mean, it was Friday night football here in the States, you know, it was drinking, it was, it was on and, um, it was tolerated because I, my, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I love my dad and he died a couple of years ago, but he drank, my sisters drank, my brothers drank. It was, it was part of our fabric. We go out to eat at a restaurant. My mom would always complain that our bar bill was way more than our food bill, you know, uh, and it wasn't uncommon to go back earlier when I was a little kid, when my dad, who was a really good commission sales rep, you know, he had good days and he had bad days, but when he had a good week or whatever, we'd go out to Chinese food and my dad had to have his cocktail, like a vodka straight up. And we had to wait for him before we ordered. He had to finish his drink because, you know, the seven of us sitting around a table and like, you know, he doesn't want to rush out of there. He's just going to enjoy this. And I always, so it was always... At an early age, it was always around, you know, and when you're a little kid at the party and all the uncles are there, they'd always say, hey, Dennis, go get me a beer. Go get me a beer. They always grab a kid. They always grab a kid. Go, hey, go get me a beer. Go inside. Go get a beer. Um, so it was just tolerated. It was, you know, it wasn't actively promoted, but it wasn't frowned upon. And looking back, I'm a guy that needs guardrails. I know this now in my life with my ADHD. I need tight guardrails. I would have loved for someone to come down hard on me and say, you can't. Yeah live like that but it you know i can't fault them either i came to that conclusion myself eventually um but it, it took a while it took you know 14 to 31 when i gave up drinking so that's what 17 good years of liver damage <laughs> yeah what was there um you know like it, it, and i'm asking the question because you know like that you know like a lot of the typical families had that you know like kind of the drunk of the family where with people which people would frown upon frown upon saying oh this is too much you know <laughs> he doesn't know how to behave and you know i cannot end all his is is drinking um did you have that you know like which was kind of the funny uncle or you know like whatever what, what do we call them the drunkles yeah we couldn't you couldn't shake our family tree without a drunk falling out they're everywhere <laughs> We had them all over the place, but they were wonderful people. I don't want to throw anyone. Yeah. I, I loved them all. They were very nice and fun. Uh, every event, like a christening or a communion or a family gathering was centered around the bar. And it was, you know, my dad built the bar downstairs in our house. You know, everyone had that. It was like, a, you know, hey, go down to the bar, you know, and go get it. Um, uh, it was, it was festive, celebratory. Yeah, but like most people, we had a couple that went over the edge. 
and most families, and they went over the edge. And I don't want to. I love them all. Um, oh and no, I don't no, no. To, and that, yeah. that's not the purpose of the, that. But you know, like it, it is. Sometimes it's almost influential yeah. because these guys, they're a bit more. They say, you know, like they they out, you know, like they they they, they voice their opinions louder than than most. You know, like, and so as a kid. <laughs> You know, as a kid, you're like, oh shit, you know, like Uncle Uncle Jack is, he's awesome. You know, like, he, you know, like, he, he, you know, like, uh, he allowed me to, I don't know, like, whatever, you know, like, drive the car, you know, like, sitting on his knees, you know, like, he allowed me to do shit that, you know, like, looking back, you're like, <laughs> oh my God, you know, like, he jumped from the, you know, he jumped, he jumped from the roof of the house into the pool. Jack is, is, is crazy, but I love it, you know, like, so, yeah. Um, and it has, so as you said, you know, like it has somewhat of a, you know, like some a, a positive influence, meaning that you know, like it, it becomes kind of oh wow, okay, so that that what that what drinking does, you know, like you know, like it allows me if I feel shy, if I'm introvert, I see that I'm like wow, you know, like I want I want a bit of this too, you know, like I I want to you know like I, I want a piece of that for sure, you know, like so that's why I always ask that question because. For me, it was you know, like the, um, my my grandfather would brag that he couldn't be laid down by dry gin, dry gin, you know. So I remember this as young as I can remember. It was always like, like almost like a contest, you know, like don't you know, like maybe beer and maybe this and maybe that, but don't bring dry gin, you know, like he, you're not gonna lay him down on dry gin. He's not gonna pass out on dry gin, you know. Like it was just. Where wow. you know, like looking back, it's like how how weird is that? You're like how how messed up is that? And the other thing is that while there could be, and you know, like, and I can have memories of that. You know, like my aunt and mom fighting over that that bucket because they're both throwing out. Um, I think it was at my com communion or confirmation, but you know, like e either of these. Um, if I had spoken about weed, for example. They would have lo lose their shit, you know. Like so, so you had this major intoxication going on, but as smooth or has, um, and I'm not saying that weed is light drug, but you know, like it, it, you know, like some label this as light drug. This was like the, this was the devil, you know. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, the reefer madness, I'm, yeah. Yeah, so 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 for me, it's always ironic to think about that, and and the influence of you know like the how social and and socially accepted was you know was alcohol and still is. It has a a, a huge impact on you know like on 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 our youth, you know like the the way that we perceive it. It's just like yeah, you know like you have to have a drink, which you see huh. fast forward. You see that on you know when when I stopped. And I worked in sales as your dad did. did. Um, I had a friend that had recently stopped as well. And we go to kind of to happy hour, you know, I kind of meeting with mingling with customers and all. And so I, right off the bat, I grabbed like a, a soda with lime in, which look a bit like a gin tonic and whatever. Um, the, 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 the individual I was with was just panicking. He was like, what am I going to drink? I'm like, drink whatever you want. You know, like you can drink water if you want, but drink whatever you want. You know, like there's no rush in having a glass of wine or having a, a 
a rum or, you know, like there's no, he's like, yeah, but everyone's going to see that I'm not drinking like they do. And I'm like, who cares? You know, like it's, but there seems, I've that, I'm, I felt it very little in my 16 years of sobriety, but you know, like there is, there is a social pressure to kind of be part of and be, you know, yeah, be part of. I get, I get your friends pressure there. Cause I had some of that too. I'm 27 years sober now. And, um, early on in the game, I remember I, I was, I followed my dad into sales and I was working for his company and I was at a golf outing, which is a, you know, Forget it. That's a blowout right there. And we all ended up back in the bar and it's you know, raffles and dinner and all this stuff. And I remember going up to the bartender because I was worried about it. I just started this job. You know, all these guys are getting hammered. And I said to the bartender, I said, give me no duels and pour it in a glass. And the guy looks at me and I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm be seven years into my sobriety. He goes, he goes, how long are you sober? I said, about seven years. He goes, I'm 11. The bartender was sober. I'm like, all right, dude. So he knew exactly what I was doing. He poured it in. He goes, here you go. It's on the house. He he supported me. So it was interesting. Yep. And then you get to a point, and you know this, Alex, you get to a point, you don't give a rat's rear end what people think. That's the beauty about getting older. You really don't Absolutely. care. Yeah. You don't care. I don't care if you don't think I don't drink. I love myself sober. So blow it out your rear end. I don't want to hear it. Exactly. Um, um so what kind of kids were you? Were, were you an introvert? Were you kind of shy? Were you, you know, like was alcohol kind of um, a good um, helper of, you know, like whatever, you know, kind of asking the question, but, you know. No, I was, a, I was an extrovert. I was a punk. I was always getting in trouble, ADHD, hyper, running around. Uh, I had a lot of wonderful friends still do this day, but alcohol for me was just like another outlet. Like, you know, it, reckless abandon when you have like adhd you go balls out that's only one speed you know so when i was drinking it was balls out to the end and it and i wasn't good at it um looking back i really wasn't good at it so it was uh it wasn't like a a tool to get me socialized it was you know it was just a a tool to get me you know feeling good and i was already out and about and hanging out with my friends and i ran with the group that drank a lot and that you know just part of the culture that we were in up there in new york and uh it was, I enjoyed them. I still stay in touch with those folks. They're wonderful people. They've supported me throughout whatever I, my endeavors, one of them being sobriety. But it was, uh, it wasn't a crutch or anything. It was just an app, a happy little escape. Just a and booster. Booster. A booster. Yeah. Adrenaline booster. And um, <laughs> most times, you know this, and all your, all your friends out there who drink, you, most times I was a happy guy drunk. Every now and then, if it, something got in me and I, asshole came out you know you guys suck you know that guy uh, you all stink uh but most times i was a happy-go-lucky guy I, I would pass out early most times i wasn't i wasn't a heavyweight i was a lightweight but i was right in there with them trying yeah. looking back um you you mentioned your brother passing D did you guys know uh you know or or today know what was going on with him, well, mo most most folks who die have some sort of mental illness or a trauma. You know, there's a debate on which one, but you got both. Whatever. Mark Mark um, was very quiet, and he also he did battle depression for years. Um, and looking back, and you can really spot it. And um, hindsight is twenty twenty. But Mark, you know, he was drinking with me. He had 
good jobs, bad jobs, lost them. He did not go to university. He stayed home. And um, it just, nothing was clicking for him. He was a brilliant guy. People would bring over stuff to our house to fix, and Mark would fix it. If Mark couldn't fix it, it was broken. Uh, you know, toasters, clocks, stereos. Neighbors would drop stuff off, say, Mark, take a look at this. He was gifted that way. And maybe, you know, looking back, maybe a trade school or something would have been a better fit. But again, the hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, he he was lost. He was in pain. He left a note. Uh, he thought it out. He planned it. And, and and gosh darn it, he left us. And it, it was sad. It was still sad. Um, died by suicide. I remember getting that call and I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And I had to go home. And then what I did, Alex, was kind of stupid. I um, went home. I got the call on a Wednesday. I went home Thursday. And I was back at school on Tuesday. We buried him over the weekend. And I went back to school. And it was on. I, I just didn't take a time out. You know, I just, I, I kind of ran away. I ran back to school and, uh, it got ugly quick there. I was drinking a lot. Um, and it was not how, good. How, how, how much of a shadow did it project on, on the family then? You know, like, cause you know, like, uh, I mean, your parents were still together alive. Um, what, you know, like how, you know, like was then the, the kind of the, the you know, the, the, Yeah, what was the family like? You know, because like, sometimes it 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 breaks families. You know, like so, it fucking wrecked us. Let's let's be honest. It, it it wasn't good. We never talked about Mark, and this is where the story gets even sadder. Remember, I talked about five of us, you know, three boys: Mark, Dennis, and Matthew. And if I was drinking, what I'd say was an Olympic level. Matthew was a pro. He was really going for it. And 11 years after we lost Mark, and we never talked about it, we never grieved properly, I think. In my humble opinion, just looking back, nobody knew what to do. Everybody gets grace. You go, shit, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, and 11 years later, I'm now married. I live in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I got a pretty damn good job at Merck Pharmaceuticals. I'm a sales rep. Really good job. And um, on a Monday, the phone rang, and it was my sister Janice again, and in a drunken stupor, in a drunken effing stupor, my younger brother with access to lethal means, he's gone. That's two suicides in one family. Two. One is too many. So Mark, Mark wrecked us and there was a repercussion of Matthew. You know, we weren't regrouping or anything. And that's why, I, you know, I think if I could have done something different, I would have stayed close to Matt and uh, maybe taken that semester off because he was home. He was at ground zero. He was the younger brother. He had to stay there and saw that, the, you know, he got hit by the shrapnel. I just bolted and went back to university. And then from university, I didn't go home. I went to New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and just stayed. I actually moved away from New York, sort of in a way of just getting out of there. I had to get out of there. And um, I was in Pennsylvania when I learned about Matthew. And you said that those events, even that family gathering, um, you, 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 the family didn't talk about about these or about, about this. <clears throat> I think not talking about Mark cost us Matthew. That's my opinion. My sisters may disagree with me. My mom, who's still alive, may disagree with me. But I think uh, if we would have, there's a there's a saying in the suicide prevention business, Alex, that postvention is prevention. After Mark, if we did proper postvention, 
if we rallied maybe some accounts or got some professionals involved, who knows where the trajectory of the family would, who knows, who knows, we, you know, we might've lost two more, who knows, I don't know, we, we lost Matt because we didn't do anything. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. In addition to doing suicide prevention work now, postvention is important. If, if something happens, you got to swoop in and I never want anyone to have to go through what my family went through twice. I don't want anyone to go through it once. In the States, I don't know about your uh, Canadian statistics, but in the States, it's about 45,000 people a year die by suicide or 130 a day. That's I think awful. it's the first or second biggest causes of death for men here yeah. in Canada. That yeah, would so, make sense because so men are 78% of all completed suicides. And I, I should have pulled it up before I got on the phone with you, but um, 78% of all completed suicides are dudes. Women have more attempts, so they're not off the hook. We're not going to slight any of your audience right there because we're all in this together. When Matt passes, um, I mean, it, it, was it plan ahead as Mark was? Uh, no? No, he didn't have like a... Um, like Mark had a thought out methodology. I don't, I don't talk about methods, but he just, it was planned. It was, there was some preparation. Matthew was in a drunken stupor with access to lethal means, which is a very impulsive decision. And it's something you can't come back from. You know, you can't change your mind. And um, I've, I've listened to these guys who've jumped off, you know, Kevin Hines is one of the guys who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And the minute he went over the rail, he said, instant regret. This I made a huge mistake, but he had like four seconds to think about it and hit the water. But he lived, you know. He's one of the one percent that lived. So, and if you talk to anyone and what people are, who who have been there and have attempted suicide, they call those people with lived experience. They went there, and by the grace of God, they're still with us. All right, I'm a survivor of suicide loss. I, I've you know I've been deeply touched by losses in my life with Mark and Matthew. So, um, all those voices are needed in the, in the battle I'm in today, you know, to, to reduce that number. The, the, um, and I'm, I'm just guessing that was the taboo, um, pursued along with the, you know, with the, with the passing of math. There's a, um, with a suicide death, the taboo and the, and the shame and the the guilt that comes with it, it's not like anything else, Alex. Like if a, if Matt was driving down the road and a boulder slid off a cliff, I could say, oh, act of God, you know, and crush the car. Oh, we lost him. But a suicide, it comes with a whole set of baggage that nobody wants and nobody asks for. And to the day I die, I'll be asking what have, could have, should have. Till the day I die. Um, I just have to get used to it. Um, that's the bummer of it all. They were in... They were in pain. I have to give them grace. Something, you know, they wanted to escape it, and that's the avenue they chose. I don't think they ever thought, and I can't speak for them, but I'm going to go on a limb here. I don't think they ever thought about the repercussions. I don't think Mark ever thought years later we'd lose Matthew. If you told him that in, right before, I said, listen, you do this, Matt's going to die 11 years from now. We're going to stop him dead in his tracks. You know, um, I just don't think they see it. They can't see it in that moment with the depression, the anxiety, whatever they're going through, the trauma, they just can't see it. And I wish they saw it. And I, you know, like what I meant by that is, you know, relative to, um, you know, like you said that the family gathering was, you know, like just not talking about it at all. Was it the same when, when it happened with Matt? Yeah. When Matt died, uh, I went dark 
uh, pretty much. And this is the start of my sobriety story. Um, I was driving back from New York to Carlisle. And I remember uh, it's a four-hour ride. Uh, and I remember driving down the highway saying, Dennis, what are you going to do with your life? Like, all of a sudden, I felt vulnerable. I was the last Gillen boy. And I'm like, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do? And I decided to take a time out from drinking. And I also made a deal with God. And I'm not recommend this for anyone. But I was so pissed in that moment, you know, shaking my fist at the sky. My ex-wife and I were having trouble conceiving at the time. And I made a deal. And I said, God, I remember that. I was crying and yelling and cursing at the sky. And I said, um, God, if we get pregnant, and I don't tell this story too often, even when I, when I do my suicide prevention talks, but I think it's important for your listeners to hear this. I, I, I don't recommend it, but it worked for me. Here's what happened. I said, God, if we get pregnant, I'll never drink again. And I already stopped drinking because I was depressed. And you know this, and I know this, your listeners, know this, alcohol is a depressant. It just is. That's the chemical classification. If you're depressed, you probably shouldn't drink. But it's hard not to. Sometimes it makes you uh-huh. feel better. So who knows? Who am I? I point fingers, you know, three fingers are pointing back at me. Who am I to say? Um, so I made that deal. And about a month later, we found out we were pregnant. And a deal's a deal. I'm a man of my word. Um, and I've been sober ever since. And I got a son out of the deal, Martin, which is awesome. And then couple years later, we had Brendan. So I got two boys, which is kind of ironic. I lost two brothers and I have two sons. So um, a deal's a deal. And that started my, my, my trek to sobriety. I, I, just, I just hold that baby. I'm like, I can't drink anymore. This is, this is the greatest deal I ever made. Look what I got. Um, so it helped. And initially, I thought I would have to avoid some people. Like, remember the story about the bartender? I thought, you know, I, yep. I was trying to get comfortable. And Believe it or not, your true friends, and God bless them, I got a bunch of them, uh, they rally around you. They will rally. And what they really rally around is the fact that you're probably the greatest designated driver they know. Uh, <laughs> yes. And and they probably have seen something that you finally see much earlier than you do. You know, like that, you know, like, oh shit, you know, like Dennis should stop. <laughs> yeah. Dennis, you kind of sucked at it. And the fact that you quit it. I support you. Uh, yeah, I wasn't it's, good it's at friends it. approved. It's always it's it's a lot of time friends approved. It was like I'm thinking about stopping. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. He's like, really? You're like, so <laughs> yeah, you suck at it. Uh, I did have one guy. It was funny. I, I have good friends, great friends, and then one guy said, "Dude, when you quit drinking, I gave you like a week." You know, and I'm here to tell you, I looked it up before we got on the, on the, on the line. It's 9,926 days sober. I looked it up. I'm doing this thing called time between dates. I know the last night I got drunk was the night we buried Matthew. I know that. I, I have that date because I have the gosh darn um, obituary in my wallet. I know the last time I got drunk. So all I have to do is pop that date in and pop in today's date and it tells me how long I've been sober. Um, and it, it works. I, you know, I, I encourage your listeners to catch me and I didn't do the 12 step program, but I'm a big fan of it. Whatever works for you works for you. I got traumatized into it. I hit rock bottom. I, I couldn't get out of bed before noon. I was so damn depressed about Matthew, um, that I couldn't add any, I always tell people like there was already a fire. I don't want to put gasoline on it. You know, alcohol would have been like gasoline on an already raging fire. It would not have helped at this point. Um, so I decided to what, take a time out. 
what was the secret though? Because you know, like that, that that was my next question is, you know, like it's it's one thing to, you know, make a kind of make a deal with God or whoever is up there, but uh, uh you know, like which, you know, comes out to being a deal with yourself, you know, like so so um it's one thing to do that, but then when you know like that other end execute on that promise, you know, like you need to execute on your end. What were the, you know, like I mean a lot of people that I've spoken to when they tried by themselves and like it was a pain in the ass, you know, like, so, so what were the, you talked about the 12 step program, but what was the kind of the toolkit you, you carried with you to be sure that, you know, like you, you, you wouldn't have that next drink. Uh, there was sure will and I'm stubborn and I'm telling you, I'm a man of my word. I'm loyal to the day is long. Um, the, the, a deal is a deal. And the other thing, and your listeners can't see, we're doing this over like a Zoom call, whatever. We could see each other, but your listeners can't see. But in my pocket at all times is a laminated two-sided obituary of both brothers. And whenever I think about anything, I whip that out. Like if I'm having a bad day, I pull that card out and I go, holy shit, those were two very bad days. They make this day pale in comparison. Come on, yep. Dennis, you've got this. You've got this. And like many of your folks out there that have been on a sobriety journey, there's a hump you have to get over. That you do. Like, gosh, St. Patty's Day would roll around. I'm Irish, you know. Um, any kind of football game when we go out and play softball, golf, any kind of recreational thing, we always celebrate with a beer, whatever. And yeah, you have to get there's some workarounds you have to get around there. Like I told you the fake beer story. You told me, you know, I'd go to a bar and I'd order club soda with a lime. It looks like a drink so anyone doesn't question me and then somewhere over the hump i fell in love with sobriety i did i liked who i was sober which is you know i didn't like who i was drunk i really didn't like that guy and that guy needed to die and so sober dennis is is much better i feel everything i feel the the highest highs i do feel the lowest lows you can't yep. selectively pick. You can, I just want to feel joy. Eh, you won't know what it feels like after a while because all you have is joy. You won't know what it is. So I yeah. feel it all, and I, I wouldn't trade that, you know, for anything. I want to feel it all. So did you did you pick up on some kind of um, spiritual and mental, um, you know, like daily routine? Like, was there? You know, like you, you mentioned that card, which you know, like is you know, like sometimes for others, it's you know, like the serenity prayer, for example. You know, like or or yeah, there are you know, like some some of that. Was there other tool on your toolkit that you would rely on, or or you know, like meditation? You know, like whatever it is. You know, like you you mentioned um, that when Matt died, you know, like you you had that conversation with higher spirits or whatever. You know, like it was, which is. In, in maybe in a swearing and, and shouting uh, manner, uh, a meditation, right? You know, like it's, it's yeah. you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's one it's way a very, to do it. You know, <laughs> very common meditation. Listen, you F and A-hole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Let you're alone in your car. You can do it whatever, however yeah. you want. Uh, nah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't advise this on, you know, like if you go in a meditation center, you're like, uh, it works. Like I did it in my car, you but you know, like that's not good. But, was there any, you know, like, what, did you had um, some kind of, you know, like a, a daily routine of stuff, you know, like some some calendar blessings, some, you know? 
The daily routine, it's interesting to say this, the daily routine involved, you know, after nine months, after the baby showed up, the daily routine really was me picking up my son out of the crib. And that was the physical reminder of the deal that I made every freaking day. He would make a noise and like, you know, and I, and between that little knucklehead and my sheer stubbornness, you know, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Um, and, you know, I, I'd pick him up, change his diaper and look at him as a gift. And I would have this guilt thing. Like, if I ever drank, something's going to happen to him. Totally unwarranted, right? You know, but that's, I'm just, a, I'm a, as I said, I'm a loyal deal maker. If I shake your hand, I shake your hand. If, we, if you give me something, and we, I'm a man of my word. And uh, that daily reminder of picking that knucklehead out of the crib was like, all right, I can do this. I can do this. I have to do this. I got Martin. And then couple that with stubbornness. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I don't like who I was drunk. I kind of like the guy I'm becoming. And it's still so evolving. you white knuckled it. You just white knuckled it. Woo! Just stopped. Trauma-induced, you know, got, got shaken to my core. And then I did go see a mental health professional, you know, in, in addition to dealing with my depression. I went and saw a pro and uh, talked about, you know, thinking about the sobriety piece. And he probably said, eh, that's probably a good idea for you right now. And I said, yeah, we're going to keep going. Um, and then eventually, you know this from some people, and a day turned into a week. A week, I couldn't believe it hit a year. I'm like, holy crap, a year. And I'm coming up on this weird milestone because I, I speak about my sobriety when I do my suicide prevention talk. So I'm looking at the dates the other day, and I was like, like, like I did tonight, it's like 9,926. Like, holy crap, I'm coming in on 10,000 days sober. So I quickly did the math, like, when, when is that day? It's December 5th. So I put it on Facebook, like, what should I do on that day? And some people are like, hey, have a drink. I'm like, oh, shut up. I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it was to be expected. but <laughs> Oh, I tell you. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, with friends like that, who needs enemies? No, they, 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 were, they, were, they, were, they were congratulatory messages, like, way to go, and some really nice messages. And my cousin wrote me a nice message. I think your listeners you hear this. He was really complimentary on me, and he's a good guy. And Patrick wrote uh, – Gosh, what did he write in a text message? He said, Dennis, I've never heard of someone said, you know, my life went to shit the minute I quit drinking. That's, that's never happened. Like, <laughs> you know, my life went downhill the minute I gave up alcohol. No, that, no one has ever said that ever. It's quite the opposite. You know, so he was kind of making like a tongue-in-cheek remark, like, way to go. I'm proud of you. So, Would you say that going over that ump suddenly made sobriety a gift? It really is a gift. You know, it's a good point. It it was, it was the gift of me back to me. It was you know I feel everything, touch everything, smell everything. I don't have to apologize in the morning. That's a real gift. Remember when you're drunk, you had to call people up. Hey, listen, I'm sorry. I said some things last night. I pinched your girlfriend's rand. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm sorry for that a hole that I was. Um, and also, the day after is all was always shit. The day after, always shit. Whatever you did. Whatever, whatever happened, sometimes nothing happened, but you felt like shit anyway. You know, like the day after, my wife is always in shock that I tell her that, you know, like there was nothing that would, that nothing was best than getting drunk again. You know, like, so, so you would wake up popping up a beer, you know, like, she was like, you drink the next day. I said, fuck yeah. You know, like it was the best way for not feeling, you know, like not to have that feeling. 
inside, which we would attribute to, um, you know, like the morning sickness or hangover or whatever. But it was not just that, you know, like it was really, I just want to not feel myself again, you know, like it was, you know, like, so you grab a few beers for breakfast and you're cool. You know, like he's like, oh, I just solved my hangover and solved whatever that like kind of the, the endless hole inside that I feel. And um, yeah, I'm, you know, like this, this is where I, how I would treat my hangovers back then, you know, like, so, um, so yeah, that's why I asked a question about the gift because it, you know, like you, you, you mentioned the ump, which is interesting because, you know, like some, you know, the umps comes at different times for different people, but I think it does transform suddenly the sobriety as literally a gift, you know, like you suddenly realize that this is the one of the blessing that that look well being the <laughs> designated driver would could be one but it's mostly you know like seeing clearer being able to identify you know like you know like the the if if you're if you're a douche you know like you can see it much clearer faster you know like if if you get irritated yeah. you know, for whatever you can just kind kind of point the finger at it um much quicker and 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 just the clarity, you know, I like guess something that, you know, like, you know, I'm, 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 I still have a ton of gratitude for, you know, like it's, you know, like seeing, seeing shit as it is, you know, like, you know, and it's, it's, um, yeah, sobriety, be uh, yeah, that's the, wow, you know, like that's, uh, you make me realize that, you know, like it became something that, you know, like, because I, I, you know, like I, I went therapy, you know, like so it was something you would almost like brag about, you know, like it was just like ah, fifteen days done, I got twenty eight days done, you know, like I had, you know, and then there's like the chip system at at AA that you know like gives yeah. you a chip at sixty days and and ninety days and and six months and so on. Um, so there was like trying to grab that next chip you know like it was almost like a race to that next chip you know like okay let's even if if if, if, if it's if it was by white knuckling it it was just like okay it, one year mark and then the 18 months but between i think the one year and the year and a half um it became clear in my mind that i probably wouldn't touch a you know a, a drop of alcohol again in my life you know like it would it it became something that, you know, I became really proud of. And now, as you mentioned, stubbornness, today, pride. Pride. Is yeah. Pride. You know, like just pride. The pride. It is pride. You know, like I, I have no problem defending why I don't drink. I have no problem explaining why I don't drink. I have, you know, like there's zero but absolutely zero shame which initially was something that eh, let's find a way to like you said you know like to kind of camouflage that you know like you're not getting an alcoholic beverage uh, at social gathering yeah um, are you are you less of a man oh bull crap yeah, yeah. that's crazy you know like it's crazy it is. but you know but we, we got it um yeah. I, I i've i've told waiters multiple times that you know like even recently someone said I think it was the second time that we went there. It was the same waiter, young kid. And um, sometimes my, my wife like just goes like one step ahead and goes like, he's not flip my, my glass of wine upside down. She's like, he's not, he's our de designated driver tonight. 
He's like, yeah, but you know, like you're gonna be here a few hours, and you can grab beer. You're gonna be okay. And I, it's the the first time that I use that, but I said, you don't have enough here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you gonna, gonna bail me out when we're done? <laughs> it, he's like, he's like, what do you mean? I said, you don't have enough alcohol in here. It's like we have like that huge you know, like stock of alcohol. Mm, if I start. <laughs> It's not going to be pretty. No. <laughs> Throw me out in the Don't street. Don't get me started, buddy. You know, like, and then he told me he was 21, and I told him to go fuck himself because I'm 46 yeah. and I feel old. <laughs> so, exactly. He's like, hang like, over is what do you mean? I'm like, ah, oh, fuck off. You know, like it, you know, like it's, um, yeah. I mean, like it, it, I love, yeah, I love the hump image. You know, like I've never heard that. You know, like it's something that. And actually, never thought of, but you know, like it became, it, 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 yeah, it, it transformation. What the sobriety is in your life, you know. And you, and you mentioned pride, and I'm going to tell you something I'm proud of, and I'm going to give some encouragement to your listeners. I'm proud of the fact that my sons have never seen me drunk. They've never seen me drunk. You know, I, I made this deal before Martin came along, and then Brandon. They've never seen me drunk. Now I have beer in my fridge right now because they drink. You know. When they, if they come over, I'll offer them one, but I don't drink. I will tell you, that is cool, but I'm going to give your listeners who just heard that, and then their kids have seen them drunk something cooler. I think it would be so much cooler, and this is one man's opinion, that if your kids saw you uh, a mess and chemically dependent, and then you got clean and sober, and then they saw you afterwards, that would be way cooler in my mind. I'm just saying, yeah. they saw the train wreck that was, you sobered up, and then they saw later on in life. And I've had stories of that in my family where people were they were wrecks early, and later on they got sober, and people go, "That's a good guy," so or, "That's a good girl." So that would be the cooler story. I really like the fact that my kids never see me drunk. But anyone out there listening, if your kids have that seen you drunk, boy oh boy, where do they see you straighten up? Pride, pride, pride. You'll be beaming from you know ear to ear with a smile when they see that and they will they observe everything those little boogers yeah. they know when um when was the calling you know like you talked a lot about your implication and and suicide prevention centers and you know like the you know like and and kind of giving a bit of your of your time and your life to you know like the, this cause um when was the calling dennis it took a while. I went in my man cave after Matthew died, and, and I moved from Pennsylvania to Chicago and didn't tell anybody about my brothers. I went, you know, People go, Dennis, how many people in your family? I would say three. I have two sisters back in New York. I wouldn't mention the boys. And then one day, uh, it had to be like 2000, year 2000, so 83, six, seven years after Matt died, um, this woman was talking at a local church about the suicide prevention lifeline where you answer the phone calls and i grabbed her card on the way out and i didn't want to be there but i i didn't say anything to anybody i just grabbed her card and about a couple months later i called her up and i volunteered she talked me into volunteering i called her up her name is stephanie weber she's a dear friend of this day and i remember i was like kind of nervous about do i want to help others you know i'm doing quite well in my man cave do i want to come out and I told her my story. I said, listen, I lost two brothers to suicide. And I remember she says, she goes, you need to get your butt, you need to get your butt in here. You know, cause she lost her mom to suicide. She started this little facility and it's part of the national network here in the States. Uh, so I started answering the phones. 
late at night from 8 to 12, answer the phones of people that were in need. And that was some of the most rewarding work I've ever done. And if I get the chance, I'll do it again. Right now, I'm on the road a little bit. But Alex, that was the point where I said, you know, I need it. You get to a point in your life when you've been through some shit and you don't want anyone else to go through it. They call it redemptive healing. You start going back and helping those people on the trail behind you and say, listen, there's a couple rocks up ahead. I'm going to help you get over them. And um, that working on the lifeline did that for me. It really helped my healing process. And then years later, years later, I mean, I went in my man cave hard. I moved again and didn't tell anybody about my brothers. And then I spoke at a fundraiser about my brothers. And I sat down. I remember I was exhausted. I just poured out my heart. And some lady comes up to me and goes, you need to tell that story more often. I'm like, you need to blow it out your rear end. That's not going to happen. You know, like it's the one and done show. I just told you my story. And then um, I started speaking about them. Someone heard me speak at that fundraiser, invited me to their school. I bombed. And then I went to another school. I only halfway bombed. And by the third time I spoke, I, I got in a rhythm. And uh, it's a story that people want to hear. It's a story that people relate to. And it's, it's touched some people. So anyone out there listening, I don't have a monopoly on this, but here's what I, I, I want. Somebody out there is listening is going to do it. Uh, I want you to take your misery and I want you to turn it into your mission and watch what happens. Just watch. I didn't plan on it. I never wanted to talk about the boys ever, 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 ever. And, you know, God had other plans. And all of a sudden, here I am talking about them all the time. I do corporate talks. Um, I did one the other day and the chat room was lighting up like a Christmas tree. It was unbelievable. Some of the stuff people were saying, it was unbelievable. They were coming, when you're vulnerable, like we are with our sobriety, when you're vulnerable, wonderful people flow into your life. It's been, it's been, it's been unbelievable what's happened ever since I started talking about the boys. And I couldn't have done it, back to your theme, Alex, I couldn't have done any of it if I wasn't sober because then I would be hurting. How much of that would you, um, you know, like, now sharing about this, would you say is involved in your, your personal grieving of these events? How much of, can you restate of the question? Sharing, you know, like how much of giving Ooh. back would you, would you attribute to, you know, like how much of that attributes to that, that, you know, like your, your own grieving process, because, you know, like for a while, you know, like there were, there was absolutely, I mean, Grieving was actually almost forbidden, both by you and by your family. It's a big part of my healing process, and I attribute a lot of it to it, talking about it. Finally, it's now like I couldn't talk about it for years. Now I got like diarrhea of the mouth. I can't stop. But there are times during the presentation. I remember one time I was at uh, a university. There was like a thousand kids in this audience, and I forgot that I changed a picture of Matthew on my slide deck. And I turned to look at the screen and I caught myself. I'm like, oh, fuck. And I had a moment. Like the grief just jumped on my back. I'm on stage and I'm having like a moment. And I got real quiet. And I remember sitting in my head. It probably was like six or seven seconds, right? You know, because when you're on stage, you think it's yeah. forever when you're up there. And I just quiet. And finally, I just said, Dennis, you're the speaker. This is going on in my head. You are the speaker. You have to speak. And I turned back to the crowd and I said, I, I just had a moment. I want to thank you all. And those kids were so respectful. You could hear a pin drop in that audience. They gave me a moment. 
And I said, all right, folks, I'm back. Sorry about that. I changed. I told them, I said, I changed that picture. It just caught me off guard. They were wonderful. And it's been that way ever since. And, you know, yeah. And, and I guess, you know, like that, you know, like my, my, not of suicide, but you know, like my sister passed recently, my younger sister oh. passed recently of, of, you know, like, and I say recently, like a few years back, but you know, like there's, um, and my mom passed last, right when the pandemic kicked off. Um, and there are multiple moments where you're like, ah, mom would have loved to see that. Or, you know, like, and, and it must be the same for Matt and Mark, you know, like where, when your son was born and, you know, when, when whatever they do is like, ah, oh, fuck, you know, like uncle Matt would have been proud of you. And, you know, like uncle Mark, if you know, like they do repair a toaster, you know, like, Hey, <laughs> yeah, he's handy like that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I, um, yeah. These are the moments that you know, like you, you kind of miss that they're not there to see that. You know, like to miss that. You know, like he'd still be alive, would be probably doing this or that. You know, like you can have all kinds of um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's a, it's just a shame. You know, it's just a shame. It is a shame. And you bring up an interesting point there. There was a time in my life I had a debate. When am I going to tell my kids about the two uncles they don't have? When, and I just, again, you may pick up the fact that I'm a spiritual guy. guy. I just said, you know, it will reveal itself. When that day comes, it'll just show up. And sure as shit, one day I'm on the phone talking in my office. I worked out of the home and I was talking about Matt and Mark, and I hung up the phone and I turn around, and my son, my youngest son, is standing right there. I never heard him come in. And he looked at me and goes, Is that true? And I said, Yeah, we got to sit down and talk. So I sat him down first. I'm tearing up thinking about this because it caught me off guard, but I knew I didn't freak out. I said, Well, this is the day. It was coming. Here it is. And I sat Brendan down and told him about it. two uncles that he doesn't have. And we had a mental health discussion. And I said, listen, we have a family history now. Um, if you ever get into this serious situation, you're going to tell me anything. And by the way, when your brother gets home from school, I'll tell him the story as well. It's not for you to tell him. I'll tell him. So when Martin got home, I told him. So that was a tough day, but I knew it was coming. And I'm glad we had it. And we, we, we do talk about in the Gillen family with the boys. We do talk about our mental health all the time. That's, that's awesome. You know, like that there's, there's something about that taboo. Um, I fortunately don't have, you know, like, uh, you know, like a story that, you know, like I was, you know, like impacted by, but you know, like you hear so many of these stories, you know, like, and, and they are, and they are so many of these stories actually out there. That actually makes me very happy, by the way, <laughs> that you don't have a story. That Someone in the suicide prevention yeah. business, I'm like, yeah, I hope you never have a story. Um, unfortunately, there's too many of them. And it's it's a pleasant surprise, Alex, that you don't have a story. So thank you for sharing that non-story. I'm sorry about the loss of your mom and your sister because your sister was younger and I remember Matt was younger. It's just different. Like it's not a linear, you know, I should die first. Yeah. Then she, yeah. It's not normal, uh, especially for my dad. Uh-huh. You know, like it's not normal. You know, like so. so. Yeah. As a parent, you're not supposed to survive your kids, you know, like you're, you're, you know, yep. so, so, and, and for some odd reasons, this is something that we have a lot in, on both sides of my family, my, my, the, 
oldest brother of my father lost his daughter when she was 14 or 15. Um, like scooter accident, like just like, uh, uh, like just a bad accident. Um, they were like on the countryside and she picked up like that little, uh, like motorbike and, you know, got hit by a truck and died, you know, like, so, so it was sudden. Then one of my uncle, well, on my mother's side, um, it was sudden as well, 16 or 17. Um, gym class, they were running around the gymnasium, stopped, dropped dead, art failure, gone. Ah. And so <clears throat> I have pictures of me with him, but I don't remember him at all. But there were a lot of, um, which is funny, but you know, like I don't think there is one word for that in the English vocabulary, neither of when you're. You know, like when, when you, how do you call when, you know, like you lose your parents, you're um, an orphan, is orphan, orphan, yeah, orphan, yeah, le- but there's not a word, there's no word in both, neither the English or French vocabulary for when a parent lose a, a kid. That's a good point. And uh, there may be a reason for that, you know, like, cause it should yeah. happen. It's a, it's, <laughs> it's a horrible situation. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, um, so they're, they're, yeah, so it's a, it's it's so bizarre, you know, like that I talk about this because the, um, my uncle's he's getting he's getting old, and you know, like his his health is um, slowly, you know, like he, yeah, you know, like he's he's, he's growing old, and um, and he wrote this week because he lost his wife like five ten years ago, and he wrote um, this week. I think not not later than yesterday, he wrote a note to her on Facebook. Be that old, yeah. It was just like you'd be that old. Fortunately, you're with mom. Bye, 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 bye. It was just like, you know, like it was. uh, Yeah, it gave me the chills. I was like, fuck, you know, like that many years later, you know, like that, that, you know, um, it never eels. You know, like it just never eels. And that's Um, okay. That 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 shows you know there's a positive aspect to this. That shows the love he had for her. He's never going to forget. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, a, and a shared joy is a double joy. A shared sorrow is half a sorrow. And there he is sharing his sorrow on Facebook and whatever he wrote, whatever he posted. Somebody's going to call him up and say, "Dude, you're all right," and he's going to share it. So that's actually a big way I get through life. A shared joy is a double joy. A shared sorrow is half a sorrow. And every time I talk about my brothers, I cut my sorrow in half. For any of you math majors out there, I'm never going to get to zero. A half of a half of a half of a half. I'll always have some remainder. And that always means my brothers remain with me. So I don't want to get over it. Your, your uncle doesn't want to get over his wife. That's okay. We, we honor them. And for any of your folks out there listening, you know, we shared some traumas and your trauma is your trauma. I never want to get like in the trauma Olympics, like, oh, yeah, this happened. Oh, yeah, this happened. You know, nah. whatever happened. Yeah. Whatever happened to you happens to you, and how do you deal with it? I tried two different ways. One with Mark, I tried drugs and alcohol. That didn't work out so well. And and with Matthew, I tried sobriety and getting a mental health counselor. And that's the reason I can talk to you folks today. Um, I took one was a dirt road, a bumpy dirt road. One was a paved road. Both roads we had to travel, but one was smoother than the other. And it's 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 funny that you mentioned that. You know, like there is. 
absolutely no grading or leveling of pain. Oh. You know, like to, to, there's there's no way. You know, like that there's um some. You know, like it, it's it's funny. Wow, you know, like it's funny you mentioned that because you're like sometimes you you share your life story. Someone was like, "How can you still be alive?" You're like, what? You know, like it, it, <laughs> you know, like so there's no. There's no way, you know, like you can grade and and level and 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 identify one pain more hurtful or more hurting than than another. You know, like it's it's um so it's there's nothing about trauma, you know, like and that that podcast would probably not exist if it was, you know, like kind of the yeah. So for 2021, you know, Dennis was quite a ride. Like so, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he picks up he picks up gold for how many traumas he had. You know, like it's just um, that's not it. It's just um, I think for you know, like I, you know, like my 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 feeling, you know, like is you know for for people that listen, um, is that everyone, you know, like everyone's different for sure. But everyone goes through shitty times. And there's no grading to how shitty it is. It's just yeah. that everyone goes through stuff. You know, like that's why I tend, you know, like I, I try to have as many different challenges in people's lives as possible. You know, I've, you know, like, you know, like it, it's for someone that has, um, you know, like, a, a, you know, a food disorder listening to us which it's easy for us we just had to take zero alcohol you cannot take zero to food you know yeah so you know so so you know except when i when i've spoken with people that had food disorder and had you know like you know either anorexia or bulimia and all that well the you know resolving this or fixing this or you know getting better with this you know, like our solution is easy. We st completely stop. But you cannot go, you cannot live without food, you know. So, you can, you know, like the, 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 the solution is not complete abstinence. So, you know, like kind of a full-blown 360 different approach to that. You know, like so, so, so there are so many challenges, you know, like that, you know, like sometimes you listen to that, you're like, oh, shit, you know, like, a, you know, like that, my approach is not the right one, but you know, like I can definitely see myself in you know the way I handle pain or I handle challenges or I handle you know like the events and and yeah, you know, like that podcast has tried to you know bring as many different life stories as possible. And you, um, you hit on a you, a you hit on a big thing there, Alex, about the traumas. Is a friend of mine went to rehab for heroin. Uh, I often share the stage with somebody in recovery. Like when I do my thing, this if it's a mental health form, there might be somebody who recovered from a, a, a serious addiction, like heroin, and like this guy did. He went he went twelve times to uh, rehab. Twelve. We never give up on people. But he had an interesting point one day. He was in there, and his uh, not his counselor, but another counselor was walking by and said, "Dude, what are you doing here? You're like you were here like a month ago." And he just, "Hey, I had a rough go of it." And and the counselor asked him this, and I want to ask your audiences too: if any trauma you're facing and you're 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 you're, you're engaged in a negative coping skill, be it the drugs, uh, possibly an eating disorder, anything that's going on that's what you would say, drinking alcohol, whatever, 
what are you running from? That's what this counselor said to this guy. He goes, dude, what are you running from? And then he walked away. And the guy's sitting in the hallway waiting for his counselor going, holy mackerel. That just opened a can of worms. And it was. He was running from something. And he was using drugs or alcohol to, to hide from it. And eventually yeah. he, ran, he ran towards it. And now he's sober and he does this whole recovery clinic, which is really cool. But I would ask that yourself and any of your listeners, what are you running from? When you're engaged in a negative coping skill, what are you running from? And explore it. And I'm a big fan of mental health professionals. Explore it if you have to with a pro. Peel the onion. Get down there and get in there and see what's in there. But um, I recommend professionals for sure. Last thing I'm, I'm going to ask you, Dennis, um, where can people find you? You know, like you, you said about doing public speaking, um, you know, like, do, do you have, you know, like, do you use social medias? Do you, do you, you know, like, where, where can people find you? Sure. The, uh, I'm actually transitioned. I used to be, it's still out there. I used to have my own website called DennisGillen.com. Like, wow, how original. My name, DennisGillen, G-I-L-L-A-N.com. It's still out there. It's a good website. I love it. But I'm moving towards a foundation. And you're going you're gonna to laugh when I tell you the name of the foundation. It's called the Half a Sorrow Foundation. Because a shared joy is a double joy, a shared sorrow is half a sorrow. And so you can go to halfasorrow.org and find me there. Uh, I do a lot of Zoom meetings. And what I try to do, Alex, and this is you know, the sobriety piece is a big part of my recovery, is I try to go upstream and get people really comfortable talking about mental health because I don't want to be in the suicide prevention business forever. I want to get people way upstream saying, you know, it's okay not to be okay. And, and say it, raise your hand, because if Mark would have raised his hand, it would have changed the whole projector, you know, trajectory of the Gillen family. I'm telling you right now. Um, and he had a chance, and um, he just couldn't do it. And, and I get that. So that's where they could find me. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Twitter Twitter agitates me a little bit. So th- yeah, not a big not fan. Good, not a good, not good for my mental health. So I'm on Instagram. My name Dennis Gillen or at D Gillen. And then I have two Facebook pages. One is my personal page, and then there's one Dennis Gillen Half of Sorrow. That's where I post more of the upbeat stuff. And I'm going to do more of that soon here as my contract runs out with the Department of Mental Health. I'm going to go full bore. Um, so I'll be more active on the social. I'm not very active right now, and it's actually good for my mental health. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially right now. You know, like we're, we're not in a. We're not in good times with the social media, let's say that way. You know, like Twitter has become the the host of cleavage and house of echoes you know like so so if you yeah and and the social networks are not in a good shape right now <laughs> Nah, it's not it's not healthy instagram heck there was a survey or not a, a, an internal document facebook they know it's not good for teenage girls they know it horrible form and i it thought is. that was one of the nicer platforms but they get that fear of missing out they start comparing themselves there's actually like a obsessive comparative disorder it's coming out and people comparing themselves and they feel themselves inferior when you're watching everybody on their best day seriously f you and your cheeseburger i don't care no no and, and it's not just your your best <laughs> days you know like it's it's it, you know like it's it's the it's the lighting that you know like you've it, the, the best influencers takes 
sometimes hours before taking that fucking shot you know like so so don't give me you know like you know don't give me that you know i just snapped this while i was on the beach fuck you you know like there's there's 10 people around you you know oh, lighting you on the good <laughs> you know so you know it, it it makes me go crazy but when you're a teen you don't have the capacity to understand that you know it's just like my god you know she looks like a model and she just captured this with her phone well fuck off you know like that's not that's not reality and you know like it makes me because i my instagram you know like that that's why i talk about house of echoes you know like which is um i don't know if it's a good translation of it but you know like it, it actually what i'm meaning is that the algorithm gets to know you and it's going to show you if you're yeah exactly if you're outright you know like it, most of the recommended sites are going to be outright and you know like and and so on and so forth and so young kids or, or teens if they start to look for a guy, you know, like that that kid, if she starts looking for like bulky and and cut teenagers or or cut adults that does you know like the musculation and all that stuff, you know, like they're, they're going to see mostly beach bodies. You know, like when they look at their search, you know, like that they're, they're going to yeah. be recommended. You know, like kind of like you said, you know, like that it becomes kind of a um, trauma by comparison, um, and my Instagram is such a messed up feed of, you know, like just like people bailing, you know, like people, you know, like it's just, it's just an, I, I run away from anything that looks polished, you know, like that, you know, like I don't, I don't need that. You know, like I don't, my cold Turkey podcast has more of the, you know, like that, that, words of wisdom shit sure. you know, like that you know like up, up, uplifting exactly and i i love it you know like it's but but it, it, again you know like it's hard today it's hard to decipher you know like the 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 honest genuine you know from the fake because you know like that you know they they perfected you know the the fake genuine you know like so <laughs> exactly the deep fake it's out there it's all bullshit we're old um, enough i'm old enough i'm old enough to like love it when my phone dies i actually get happy i'm like oh good my phone died if i'm uh, out not there yet <laughs> i'm so happy i'm like sweet i'm not plugging it in one day it died on a sunday morning i remember i was here at the house I, it died on a sunday morning and i said to myself you know what i'm not plugging it in till tonight and i went the whole day it was awesome it was awesome. Wow. Yeah, you you're good. <laughs> you're better than I am. You know, like I you know, like, yeah, you know, like I don't know if I FOMO, you know, like the fear of missing out is really something that, you know, like uh technologically is, you know, like we we you, you uh, phone is you an see, addiction as well. You you give me all these compliments that if I pulled up my screen time app right now, I'd be totally ashamed. (laughs) So so save your accolades. Exactly. Dennis, thanks so much for your time. You know, like it was a great conversation. You know, like I, 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 that's why I fucking do that. Like that's, you know, like I want to meet people like you, Dennis, all the time. Like, and, and, you know, like two, three times a week, you know, like I, I, I'm blown away. You know, like it's, I'm going to repeat that, but you know, like I'm, I'm a perfect stranger to all of my guests, you know, like two years in, you know, like it's not people I know, believe me, you know, like I don't have that wide of a circle of friends, you know, like, so, um, I started off with friends, but you know, like it, it quickly became people that just don't know me and wanted to be part of that journey. And, um, and I meet with incredible people, 
and you know, like I'm, I'm, I feel blessed. I'm full of gratitude of that. And you're not part of that, Dennis. And, um, it's, it's, yeah, I'm just blown away and, and, you know, humbled by that, you know, like, and so you reached out and I'm, I'm happy you did. Oh, I'm glad I did too. And Alex, you start off on your podcast as strangers and you end up at friends an hour later. And that's, that's what we all should strive for. So yeah, I appreciate Thanks it. A lot. You are, you are a friend now. So stay in touch. Thank you, Dennis. Take care. Alex, thank you very much. Bye-bye.